Get in on the action and make your bet with Sports Interaction. Summer is heating up with baseball. Can the Jays make a run at the division? Oh, <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> uh, hey, but you can bet before the game, whichever way you think. Live and in play uh, at all your favorite teams and hot dog contests. Woo! Woo! Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN or download the app to get started. It's 19 plus. And what do you have to do, Steve? Please play responsibly. This is Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wilde. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? The last episode of Agent Provocateur for Season 2. Um, we will let everyone know right up front, there will be a Season 3. Yes. 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 <laughs> but this is the last one uh, before our uh, summer hiatus. Adam, how are yeah. you? I'm, you know what, Alan? I'm I'm excited and I'm feeling uh, immensely proud, but also it's sort of like um, every time your kid has a birthday, and I know you know this, especially being a uh, uh, just a very new empty nester, every time your kid has a birthday, you're like, has it already been that long? And, yeah. you know, I look at the ground we've covered in the two years that we've done the show so far, and we've got a lot of ground to cover today about free agency and all the other things that uh, that, that have happened in between our last couple episodes. And um, I just want to say I, I thank you for for what you've brought to this network and for believing in us because two years ago we were nothing and uh, and I'm thrilled that we're going back for season three. I was saying to my wife last night I think the show is as as shows do it takes a couple years and I think we're just beginning to hit the stride of what this show can be and I'm I'm just so excited. Well, um, you know I I knew you when. I knew you when <laughs> I right. knew you, Jesse and Steve when. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's a pleasure working with you guys. It really is. I look forward to uh, recording every episode. We've had some great guests on this year. I mean, it's a thrill to have people like Steve Iserman and uh, Scotty Bowman uh, mm -hmm. to come on this year and, and, and tell them, share some great stories, but more importantly, um, the, uh, the the reason we do this podcast um, is to give people a little bit of a peek around the curtain into what it's like uh, being an agent, uh, mm -hmm. some of the relationships that um, we've made along the way, and tell some great stories. Yep, and uh, and, and talk about some of the. Uh, leading issues in the industry. And I think we, we do that and we do that on a regular basis. Yeah. And I think, I think what's been amazing is just the, the educational aspect for a lot of people. You know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's the type of show where, you know, typical sports networks aren't going to, are going to give you this because they're giving you the sports highlights, right? And that's their job. But I think the amount of information uploaded into my brain about, you know, the CBA and the inner workings and negotiation and, you know, even things like um, some of the guests we've had that are non-hockey related. Uh, prosecutors you work for, you know, like with the O.J. Simpson case and um, and then, of course, musicians. And I know that the guest list that you have in your mind of people you'd like to have on this show is much longer than what we've seen so far. And there are some pretty big names on it that always kind of surprise me when you go, yeah, they said they might do it. So I'm, I'm excited for season three. Um, and I was actually, I've got to tell you, Alan, we were at the draft in Nashville. I was really surprised when you texted Steve and Jesse and I and said, hey, so when am I coming on the show? Because we figured 
There's no way we, we didn't even ask because I'm like, you know, I'm always like, you know, like, let's leave Alan, like, let him do his thing. Like, he's got a really busy world. We're maybe less than 1% of it. Uh, and you were like, when am I coming on? And you came over to uh, our studios. You walked up three flights of stairs, which uh, Jesse booked <laughs> us the tallest, the tallest place in the entire world. Uh, and uh, and you came up and you did the show. And, and it was funny. You had just come from doing your rounds with the general managers. I, I think, you know, the first place to start is how do you feel the draft went for you and for Octagon? Yeah, I think we had a we had a great draft. There were a lot of logistical issues as we discussed. Mm. Uh severe thunderstorms on the East Coast um closed uh Newark, JFK, uh two big connecting airports uh for flights from Europe. Uh and there were probably around 14 or 15 uh, players and scouts who ended up, there were no flights available. There was no other way to get from New York or Washington, uh, uh, to Nashville except renting a car and driving 12 to 14 hours. And that's what a lot of people did. And, uh, I had a lot of interviews arranged with NHL teams for certain players. The day before the draft, a lot of those had to be rescheduled and squeezed in when they arrived. Um, some of the, some of the players were on the road, um, mm -hmm. for a long, long time, you know, going straight shot 14 hours to get into Nashville to make it on time. So that was a little bit of a, a, a wrinkle in all of the best laid plans that you have every year. But mm -hmm. from a draft standpoint and a hockey standpoint, Really happy with the draft. There were some uh, players that uh, went a little bit higher than we were projecting. Some may have gone a little bit lower. But like I said on on the Dangle podcast, um, the draft is really a snapshot of what teams think that day. And if you went back and redrafted the 2022 2021 2020 draft they would look so different than the way they actually went down and that's that's just the way it is so what i always tell players and i've been having this conversation you know you don't want to be a dream killer you don't want to be a killjoy yes it's a remarkable milestone in their lives and in their families' lives to get drafted. But it really doesn't mean much. It just gets the player on the starting line. And, and 50% of players drafted in the first round uh, play less than 50 NHL games in their career. I think playing less than 50 games is not an NHL career. Um, so, you know, anyone who thinks that getting drafted in the first round is an automatic to having a lengthy NHL career, uh, or superstardom, you're so far away from that. You're 18 years old. You're 17 years old. You're, you're one of the best projected players at your age but you're a long way from still being able to play in the NHL. Now, 
I know that uh, uh, the name Juracek uh, means a lot to you because of David going number six overall uh, with Columbus last year. I know there's another Juracek in the pipeline uh, for next year, and he's got a great first name. His name's Adam, Adam Juracek, yep. David's younger brother. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about him? Because I believe you are his agent advisor. Am I am incorrect in saying that? Uh, you're you're correct. And okay. uh, and and in one of my first conversations with David, uh, he said to me, "You know, I have a younger brother." And I said, <laughs> "Yes, David, I know." And he like looked one way, looked the other way. He goes, "I think he is better than me." <laughs> awesome and and so like i mean he uh adam your check is uh from what i understand just as big as david too because david's a big he was a big guy for 18 years old yeah and, and adam is there there adam is also right shot defenseman and um and he plays a very similar game and mm -hmm. right now in a lot of the early uh, projections, rankings for the 2024 NHL draft. Adam is ranked somewhere in the top 15. Um, still, you know, who knows? It's, it's so early, but he's certainly a player that based on his play the last couple of years, um, especially his play on national teams as well, uh, with, with Czechia, that he's going to be, um, under the microscope and and followed very closely um, as he enters into his NHL draft year. What do you tell a player that's a year out from being potentially drafted? Because there's no guarantees that you are. Um, you know, that scouts are going to take particular look at. They're 16, they're 17, and there's suddenly a lot more pressure. It's more than just playing for yourself. You're now looking at it like, okay, I might be, I might be going across the ocean here at some point soon if I play well enough. How do you keep the nerves down? How do you keep them focused? What do you say to a guy like Adam Juracek? Ignore the draft. The draft is still okay. so far away. Don't even think about it. Just play hockey. You know, get right. yourself in the best shape possible in the offseason. Um, be ready and, and just go out with the mindset of I'm going to have a great season and you're not thinking about the draft or worrying about the draft in any way. I think Adam has been through it a bit following and being there with his brother. He was in Montreal um, when David was drafted. He saw everything with his own eyes and, uh, and the two brothers are very close. So okay. I think um, he's got a, a great advantage. You know, the more knowledge and the more information you have, uh, I think the better off you are. And um, you can tell somebody the way things are going to be, uh, but it's much different if you've already experienced them yourself, uh, especially watching an older brother go through it all. Right. Uh, and yeah, so that'll be a, that's going to be a fascinating player to watch as, uh, as kind of the season unfolds. Um, I, I, you know, last year for free agency for you, Alan, and I, uh, I don't mean to diminish the effect it had on the players, uh, themselves that you represent, but you had a really crazy year. And I think it would, I don't know if you'd characterize it as busier than any other year, but when we talk about the names involved, you know, uh, from Jonathan Huberto being traded to, you know, Max Pacioretty signing in Carolina and, and Marc-Andre Fleury re-signing with Minnesota, Jan Ruda signing, Sean Dursey signing his extension. Uh, that was just last year. Um, 
How would you compare and contrast last year versus this year? Would you say there was a lot more heavy lifting last year or did it all kind of just feel the same? Yeah, um, Max was actually traded from Vegas to Carolina, traded, still sorry. on, still on the three year deal that, that we had signed when he was traded from Montreal to Vegas. Um, but the, um, it goes in cycles mm. and, and, you know, you don't plan out ever when players contracts are going to expire. Um, a lot of the heavy lifting last year was renegotiating, um, or negotiating extensions on deals that were coming to an end. Um, and a certain number of free agent deals where you're placing guys, um, you know, in new deals in different cities. Um, and I think every year, July one is a pretty crazy day. Um, you know, you're, I was in the office at 4 a.m., um, which is typical. It's, it's, there's, you always commiserate with the GMs and assistant GMs on West Coast teams because you're all talking to each other at 4.30 a.m. It's dark outside, and they're like, well, this is the bad part about, you know, being out West. And like, yeah, there's a lot of good. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of good. You know, you can't complain. But uh, <laughs> on on days like uh, July 1, you know, it's a it's an early early morning, and it's a long day, and um, um, it, it it it's interesting. The last two years, um, the uh, almost everything has transitioned away from office lines to cell phones, yep. and it used to be uh, it used to be way back when where everybody was calling um, office lines and um, assistants um, uh, here in our office and people working uh, with clubs were answering the phones and you were able to, you know, in, in some cases um, have two, three, four conversations going at the same time uh, just with people on hold and, punching buttons and and it's a little bit of a different dynamic when you're on a cell phone and you can really just talk to uh one person at a time i don't think i called one office line um the last several years um and, and you know everyone's texting and calling into cell phones so um does that make things complicated when you can't have say multiple lines going at the same time you have to you know, have someone's a, probably always calling you you have to have a really good staff and you have to take very good notes of every conversation you're having during the day. Because mm -hmm. if you don't, I mean, you're literally having hundreds of conversations. It's so easy to get lost. And that's the one thing you, you don't ever want to have happen. So I am furiously taking notes uh, uh, during every conversation I'm having in, in, um, in a binder that I have separated out for each player. And I can quickly go and reference the last conversation with the time of the call, um, and other details that I put in to my notes. So I know exactly by looking you know, that I'm refreshed on exactly what was discussed and where we are, especially when you're conducting five, six, seven, eight 
negotiation simultaneously with sometimes upwards of eight to 10 to 12 teams. Jeez. That's a lot. That is, uh, uh, you know, and, and switching back and forth has got to be the hardest part, especially when you're trying to keep players straight and team offers straight. Um, uh, let me ask you, I don't think a lot of people know about the staff. How many, how many staff would you have working with you uh, on a free agency day, like on July 1st, July 2nd? It's probably about um, six people in the office. Um, and, and, you know, we're also at Octagon very spread out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's Ben Hankinson and Chris McAlpine in Minnesota and, and they have uh, a setup there with their staff. There's um, Andy Scott, um, Rob Hooper, Rob Grant, Mike Liute. Everyone has got their own little, you know, their, their home base and staff there. And, we all work together. We cooperate together. We share information. Um, we strategize together. Uh, we bounce ideas off each other. Um, it's, it's, it's very valuable, but there's a lot of people behind the scenes that help keep the, uh, the engine running, running properly. Yeah. I hope um, without, without leaking, without leaking oil. Of course. I hope I'm not yeah. speaking out of turn here, but I met, I had the uh, pleasure of having a couple of drinks with you and Mike Leude in Montreal last year at the draft. And yeah. uh, I hope one day he's able to make an appearance because he's quite the storyteller. <laughs> uh, he's a funny, funny guy uh, and, and an NHL goaltender. And in the 80s, when things were really wild. He's probably one of the best goaltenders of his era. Yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. He was, um, was a runner-up for the Hart Trophy uh, one year, um, as, uh, yeah, the, a guy named Wayne Gretzky won it that year. Never and, heard of him. Uh, yeah, me either. And, um, he was MVP of the all-star game when it was out in LA one year. Um, he won the car. Uh, so, y- you know, he, he had a re- remarkable career and, and what he did is something I, I really admire when he retired from hockey he had gone to Bowling Green, um, NCAA, and completed his degree uh, mm-hmm. before turning pro. He seamlessly transitioned right into law school. And uh, three years after retiring from the NHL, he had a law degree and went to work as associate counsel with the NHLPA. Yes, yes. And told a lot of stories about that too. Very, right. very interesting guy. Um, yeah. So maybe we can line him up for next year if he'll do it. Um, I, you know, I want to ask you about some of the moves specific to your clientele this year. And I think a lot of people want to know because, you know, uh, as we get to know the people that you know, Alan, with the guests that we have on, um, people have like a, a, a there's a more of an intimate interest in, in, these, in these people. And Sean Dursey's interview is one that sticks out to me as, you know, one of my favorites personally in doing this show, he seems like a guy who is just made to be great in, in the sense that his attitude and his perseverance, uh, you can you can see it in the episode. Uh, just look up the Sean Dursey episode with Agent Provocateur. Um, he moved to Arizona. We talked a little bit about this on the SDP, but I want to talk a little bit more about it here if we can. What a huge opportunity to step out and get enormous minutes and quarterback a power play for him? Uh, I think it's a, a great opportunity for him to um, uh, 
hit his ceiling. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that means there's still a, a tremendous amount of unrealized potential. And the fact is that in Los Angeles, there was, if there was one area they had uh, an embarrassment of riches, it was right shot defensemen. And uh, with uh, uh, Drew Doughty, uh, you know, great defenseman um, uh, installed as um, the, the the defenseman on the right side, first pair. Um, yeah. Matt Roy. Uh, also, also power play. Um, yeah. You know, this past season, Sean, uh, to get the ice time, he had earned and get the and play the, a role and opportunity he had earned was moved over to the left side. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and he'd never played on the left side before, but, um, unlike others, he embraced it and said, you want me to play on the left side? I'll play on the left side and, and did it and did it really well. But obviously they had to move somebody at some point, mm-hmm. um, you know the point. The point to me is now he's going to a team where he is. He has the opportunity to lead the D and and be a top pair uh, and play on the right side. And and you, you know from from there, the sky's the limit. Um, you never want to put a a number. Or, or throw something out there like he should get, you know, 30 points, 40 points, 50 points. But he's been a 0. .50 points per game defenseman since he came into the league, um, which is remarkable. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that offensive production puts him in a very uh, rarefied class of player. Um, and, y- you know, 45, 50 points is within reach uh, getting the opportunity he should on the first PP unit with some very good players. Yeah. Right. So absolutely. So you embrace it, you move forward, you, you have a great season and we go from there. And um, we also have uh, Max Pacioretty. Now uh, he came back, he looked great, you know, from that injury, but then re-injured himself and, you know, it's just it's frustrating because, again, spoke to him on the show. And I, what struck me as somebody that doesn't know him as well as you do, Alan, is his absolute commitment to health, to getting the most of it out of his body, to being the absolute best player in every sort of aspect that he can be um, at all times. He's an intense guy. Uh, he signed in Washington. They're a free flowing offense. Uh, why, if you don't mind me asking, why Washington and why do you think it's a great fit and why is he excited about it? Well, it, it, they expressed interest um, right at the beginning of free agency. And um, th- they had a couple of conversations, um, um, the GM, Brian McClellan and Max, and and Max also spoke uh, with the head coach there and and really liked their plan for him really liked um, there was just so much about it that made sense. And, you know, 
really not supposed to talk about some of the other offers out there, but we were actually sitting there with about eight to 10 offers hmm. and, and wow. some teams that would have been, I think if people knew who actually made an offer, pretty surprising. Um, okay. This just in the clicking off the criteria of what was most important to him, hockey always being um, right up there along with family. It just made the most sense uh, for him and his family and he believes in the organization and he's excited and can't wait to get back on the ice and, uh, and, and be healthy and put all of the injuries he's had, uh, and been dealing with the last couple of years behind him. Um, mm -hmm. I think he's doing amazing right now. Uh, don't know if he's going to be ready to start the season, uh, game one but it shouldn't be too long before he's back playing and uh, playing with some really good players and uh, playing at, uh, at the level he expects of himself. He's got to be looking forward to that. It's got to feel like a bit of a fresh start. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. Um, Jonathan Drouin uh, rejoining Nathan McKinnon. Uh, this is something we saw uh, tons about when in their draft year, um, when, uh, you know, they're both drafted in the, in the top five there. And, and, and obviously with the, you know, the Halifax Mooseheads, Memorial Cup champions, um, I, Jonathan Drouin has, uh, and, and, and let's, you know, let's not beat around it. He, he, there has been some tough moments, uh, in the last few years for him. Um, and, this reunion with Nathan McKinnon, I'm curious about how much did the Nathan McKinnon piece have to play uh, in Jonathan Duran going to, uh, to going to Colorado? Well, I think uh, Nathan McKinnon was uh, basically uh, a chief scout and assistant GM on, <laughs> uh, on this file. Uh, uh, Chris McFarland, the GM in Colorado joked about it uh, during his media availability. Um, Nate, did a great job uh, convincing uh, Jonathan that Colorado was the place for him and playing with Nate. And the, they both hope that they play together uh, and rekindle some of the magic they had back from Halifax is, um, is going to happen. You know, I, I personally watched many games um, when the two of them were playing on one of the most dominant lines in the history of the CHL. I mean, what the two of them did together was a marvel and a wonder. The chemistry between them, the sixth sense that they had between them, the awareness of where each of them were on the ice all the time. Um, it, there were some games where each of them were were getting four or five points and they could have had three or four more. It was right. just astounding to watch. And if, if that magic um, uh, and the chemistry can be rekindled again, uh, I think that uh, uh, it bodes well for everybody. I know that um, Nate is excited to have uh, – Jonathan on his on his wing and I know that uh, Jonathan uh, has been 
training incredibly hard in Montreal. He's excited. He's motivated. Um, it has been tough in Montreal. There have been some some highs and lows. I think it's time for a, a change of scenery, a fresh start, um, work with new people. Uh, he has great memories of his time in Montreal. Uh, and, and many people were very, very good to him. But uh, it is a very tough place to play when things are not going well or the team is not doing well. It's a tough right. place to play. It can uh, the, the 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 media and the marketplace. It's it's all around you. It's everywhere. If you go to the corner you. grocery, if you go to the corner grocery store, um, if you uh, go in to have dinner in a restaurant, if you're walking down St. Catherine Street, um, it, it's just something you learn to deal with. Um, but when things are going well, it's like, Hey, this is a lot of fun. When mm -hmm. things are not going well, I think what players tend to do, tend to do is avoid public places and start cocooning more. And that's not a healthy way to live. I remember, I remember years ago, um, during the Halak spring in <laughs> 2010, yep. um, Yarrow during the playoffs went out for a walk with his wife, just for a walk down the street. And he got four or five blocks from his apartment building and cars, he started being recognized and cars stopped in the middle of the street and people, you know, jumped out of their cars to get an autograph or to shake his hand and talk to him. And all of a sudden he was surrounded by two, 300 people just going wow. for a walk. And wow. he, he went back home and he called me. Some people might enjoy that, but you have to also understand how some people wouldn't enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's tough. It's tough. Everybody thinks that being a celebrity or being a athlete who's recognized and asked for their autograph, sure, it's, it's, it's a great thing. But I, I've also sat in restaurants with players in Montreal um, with a mouthful of food sitting with their family, and there's four people standing deep wanting an autograph and a selfie while a player is trying to eat a steak and you want to wow. be nice and polite and, and welcoming to everybody, but you are giving up a little bit of your privacy to play there or in any of the yeah. big markets. It's oh, the yeah. same with, it's the same with Toronto. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, uh, the media attention in Montreal though, is to me the most intense because that, you know, what the English media ignores is the French media. Uh, and the French media are the ones that I think are the more intense side. And I remember I was in, uh, you know, Alan, as you know, I've been married a couple times now. But uh, for the bachelor party of my first wedding, I was in Montreal. We went to a game. Montreal beat Detroit 10 to 2. It was an awesome night. We ended up at a, um, a nightclub and a couple of the players were there and I won't name who they were. Um, and they quite literally had to cordon off that part of the club. They had to take, I've never seen anything like that in Toronto. If, you know, they'll, they'll be in a booth somewhere, 
but they actually had to rope it off. You could not, you're not even allowed to walk through because they're there because there, there needed to be that separation. That's how intense things can get. So I completely get that. Now I'm, I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at the, the line that Jonathan Drouin right now is slated to be on next year. Okay. So if all things work out, McKinnon, Drouin, Mikhail Rantanen. Rantanen who's another, and who's another octagon client. Who's another octagon client. 97 goals between McKinnon and Rantanen last year. Over 100 assists between the two of those guys. If this line sticks, we could be talking about a line that does 25 to 30% of all Colorado goals next year. And that's without Gabriel Landeskog coming back to the lineup. Um, that's got to be pretty darn exciting for Jonathan after, you know, some tough years. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. you, you want to put players in a situation to succeed. Uh, this had nothing to do with the money. It had everything to do with the opportunity that presents itself. And, and hopefully they have a great year. And, and Colorado was talking to us uh, at the end of the year about uh, keeping, keeping the band together. Amazing. Amazing. I love that. Um, uh, we have to talk about the Leafs uh, because William Lagason, you now officially have a client on the Leafs again. Uh, William Lagason uh, is a Toronto Maple Leaf. He was obviously with Montreal and then Edmonton before that. Um, you know, he had, and a lot of people don't realize this, an incredible year in the A last year. Oh, yeah. He was he was probably one of the top. I mean, he's, it, it, it was, uh, 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 He's a little bit of a hybrid defenseman in the sense that he is big, mm -hmm. physical. Um, he hits like a truck, um, and and that's uh, the primary asset that got him to uh, the NHL with Edmonton. But mm -hmm. he also moves the puck really well, and last year like he did um, in previous years when he was in the American League in Bakersfield, put up pretty big offensive numbers um, for a defenseman and mm -hmm. was a mainstay on their power play um, in Chicago, um, American League with the Wolves, and, mm -hmm. and just all around from the offense he brought to the puck moving, to the physicality, uh, to the big body, to the willingness to block shots and just an all around great person and great teammate. There's a lot there. And, and hopefully fingers crossed, there's some, uh, there's some uh, big team call-ups uh, happening and he can establish himself here in Toronto. That would be a really great story. Um, wild Bill's going to find, but wild Bill's going to find a way. Yeah. You think so? <laughs> oh yeah. He'll find a way. I hope we get to meet Wild Bill one day on AP. Just throwing that out there. Um, one guy we did meet uh, last year was Boko Amama. And uh, he, along with your other clients, Matthew Highmore and Josh Curry, joined the Sens. Um, it, is that one phone call or is that three phone calls? I looked at that and I was like, did Pierre Dorian call you three times about three different players? Or he was like, I want them all. It was three completely different situations. Okay. And uh, we we hadn't even really talked about um, one player when we were talking about another. And it was like one deal got done. And then 
I get a call and it's like, Hey, we're interested in this player. Now, where are we at? Where are you at? And, uh, they just all kind of came together. Um, but Boko is an interesting, uh, real interesting situation with Ottawa. Um, I mean, we know the way he plays. He's, he's a physical guy. Um, he is, it's something that Ottawa really doesn't have. It's an element that they don't have. And, uh, and DJ Smith and, and Pierre Dorian together were very involved, uh, in the signing and in communicating to Boko, uh, how much they wanted him in Ottawa. And, uh, I would, I would uh, predict that, um, when the Sens break camp, um, in October, that, uh, Boko Imama is going to be, um, in the NHL on the NHL roster. Wow. Good for him. That would be great. And he's got, and if you want to go back and listen to it, you can. Uh, we interviewed him uh, about a year and a half ago now. It's hard to believe. But a fascinating story and a crazy road to the NHL. And, um, you know, a guy that in many respects uh, uh, overcame, well, not in many respects, in, in almost all respects, overcame a lot more than the average player does to get to the NHL. So it's a, it's a great story. I'm, I'm really excited for him. It was cool to see his name go up. I don't love the fact that he's going to play the Leafs a lot more um, because, you know, it's always about the Leafs, Alan, at least with me. But, man, uh, could really? not be happier for the, for the person. I know, right? <laughs> it's crazy. We kept telling Never you every time, Alan's got a, <laughs> every time Alan's got a client that comes up, what, one of the three of us always messages him going, Leafs, come on. What do you think? <laughs> um, a couple other names that, that I just wanted to – to show some attention to Nathan Walker, who joined us on the show uh, is in St. Louis again. Um, and, you know, it seems like uh, seems like a good fit for him there. Um, and, you know, what Doug Armstrong has been doing with the St. Louis blues, I think, and I've been talking about on the STP is very interesting. It seems like they're building, they're turning that, that retool around very, very quickly. And they expect to be competitive again. Uh, if not this year, then uh, like immediately in 2025. Yeah. And, and, and I've had a, you know, Doug Armstrong has been on, um, our show and, yeah. uh, I have, uh, lots of, uh, conversations with him. I think he's got, uh, a plan, uh, a strategy that he's following. Um, none of this is haphazard. And, uh, I think that, uh, his goal is to turn it around as quickly as possible. Okay. And, uh, uh, a couple last ones, Matt Luff and Marion Studnik. So Matt Luff with the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, why Detroit? And uh, uh, did Steve Eiserman mention the podcast uh, that he was on when he called you about Matt? Or is that just in his rearview mirror? <laughs> no, we, we don't uh, talk about uh, that. But, but uh, um, you, you know, Matt um, is, is, in my mind, he's an NHL player. He's, mm -hmm. he's a big right shot winger. And uh, that was something that uh, Detroit um, had a um, uh, a need for last year. Uh, Matt uh, worked his way into the NHL lineup, had a couple of uh, serious injuries, um, ended up breaking his wrist. Uh, that took him out uh, when when that rehabbed and and healed up, and he was ready to play. Uh, came back to Detroit and finished the season strong there. And uh, I know he's doing a lot of different things this summer to get himself in the best shape of his life. 
and he's coming in. You know, Matt Luff is a man on a mission. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, never, ever count him out. And Marion Studnick uh, in Seattle. By the way, what's been the feedback for players playing in Seattle? Do they like it? Is it, it, is it as great to, a great a place to live as everybody says? Everybody um, loves Seattle. I think it's considered now amongst NHL players as a prime destination. Um, I don't see any Seattle's on no trade lists the way you might see <laughs> some other cities. Toronto, um, Montreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people, people like going to Seattle. Um, Ronnie Francis, uh, Jason Bottrell, uh, Ricky O. They run a first class organization um, and they treat the players well. Um, they have a, um, I mean, they've had great success last year in, in second year of their uh, gestation. I think that uh, they're a contending team of, with their young players going forward. They play an exciting mm-hmm. brand of hockey. And, um, you know, with a little bit of luck, uh, they're a team that can do a lot of damage next year. Um, I, I, uh, I wanted to ask you, because uh, first off, I, I want to say that you are one of the first people that I know that made the switch from Twitter to Threads. And I know you still have your Twitter account. Uh, but, you know, being the social media maven that you are, Alan Walsh, what do you think of Threads so far? Um, I, I really like it. The only thing they need to figure out that they need to be able to uh, um, offer as an option is a, a timeline or a feed specific to who you follow. Right. right. So I go to Threads and I'm getting all these, you know, random threads from people that I don't follow on topics I don't really care about. And mm-hmm. the, the, what I think so many people liked about Twitter is by the people you follow, you design, um, specifically to you as an individual, the news you're interested in having, uh, pushed to you. So if you, you know, pick up a newspaper in the old mm-hmm. days when I used to buy a LA Times or a New York Times or a Chicago Tribune and you have the different sections, you've got the um, political section, you've got the sports section, you've got the business section and it's static. It's all there and you can see an article that catches your eye, you read it or you don't. That's sort of what Threads is right now, right? Right. Whereas I would love to just have the information from the people that I follow at the, at, you know, coming to me and it's more specifically designed to me and in real time chronological order. I don't want to see a tweet from, I don't want to see a tweet, you know, a thread from nine hours ago at the top of my, uh, um, when I refresh and go to the top and I'm reading nine hour old news from somebody, I don't really want to, you know, I'm not interested in that content. So right. once, once they get there and I believe they will, I mean, it's, it's a breath of fresh air because there's no negativity. Everybody yeah. was 
positive. Everybody was in a good mood. There was none of the, you know, you know it, to me, Twitter has become a cesspool of negativity. It's, it's, uh, I, I use it for very limited purposes now. Mm-hmm. Um, um, comparatively to the way that I used to use it in the past. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to get sucked into that um, cesspool of negativity. And um, I don't think it's good for your mental health. I don't think no. it's good for, for, for much of anything. And um, it's all, you know, political wars and right versus left. And I, I'm primarily there for the hockey content and um, and it's just so polluted with, you know, far right, um, just hoping that either Twitter cleans its act up or threads, mm-hmm. you know, makes some modifications and becomes the next go to spot for all of us to reside um, with regard to social media. Yeah. I hope they hear the feedback because it sure was a lot of fun last night jumping on it. And in honor of it, um, I actually put out there and, and Steve rethreaded me. I think that's what it's called. Um, yeah. uh, I don't know what the, what take the, some getting the, used to the repost is, but yes, it's going to take some getting used to, but, um, these are all questions today from threads from listeners of this show on threads. Uh, so this is from Langdog, um, <laughs> Alan. How important is term to players right now, right now, in terms of negotiations? With the previous flat cap, long-term deals seem to be all the rage. But now with the increases on the horizon, which, Alan, I think you're the first one I ever, just as a personal thing, you're the first person I ever heard talk about the fact that the cap is going to jump enormously. We're seeing the ramifications of it now. And Langdog wants to know, will the pendulum swing to more shorter-term, two, three NBA type deals, two, three year NBA type deals. Well, it's interesting. There's a lot there. I've always believed that the top players in the league should never sign more than two or three year term deals. Really? Oh yeah. And the, and the, and the reason why, and and that's what you see has, has happened in the NBA. Mm -hmm. If you're a top player, you want to capture the top of the market and and what tends to happen in a six seven or eight year deal is you might have a certain percentage of the cap in year one but Mm -hmm. as the cap goes up your percentage of the cap is actually going down whereas if you're a top top player top player and you sign a two-year deal or a three-year deal max, you come back to the marketplace um, as a free agent. You have the option of going anywhere again or resigning where you are. And if you do, you're going to get top of the market money again. So mm-hmm. um, that only works if you have a cap that is continuously going up or you have a luxury tax built into the cap. So it's a soft cap, not a triple Hard cap. Um, but what you see right Which now. You love. I know. I know you love the triple uh, hard cap. <laughs> exactly. What you, what you see right now is many players uh, now are informed and aware that the cap will go up um, 
um, probably uh, around four point something million next off season, and uh, about five million plus the year after. So we're looking at around a nine to ten million uh, bump in the cap over two years uh, from a system that has had very limited available dollars, especially with the big markets who drive salaries, drive the marketplace. Um, next off season, I predict to you right now, July one is going to be wild. And you will find also July one next year, a lot of deals with term because I think players are still conditioned to want security over a two or three year deal, right? This year you saw many players taking one and two year deals thinking I am going to come back to the market when there are more dollars available and that's going to be um, my home run in a year or two. That uh, and that makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, every every team with that much more money and the floor and for some of the teams that are at floor teams, uh, the floor going up that much too, right? It forces the spend. Uh, Nikki Nat ninety six. What happens when an agent accepts an NHL front office role? Do all their players become free agents so they can select any agent they they that they want, uh, or do they stay with the agency that the agent worked for? Well, not that it would ever happen with me. <laughs> um, I know that the opportunity has sort of come your way, though, has it not? Or offers or thoughts about it? Uh, I would rather not talk about that. But okay. uh, I, would, I, would, <laughs> I, I would say what I've said before. I have never had interest in ever uh, going to work for a team. And I cannot ever imagine myself um, working in a front office. Um, my DNA is is as a player advocate and mm -hmm. um while i have great respect for people who work in nhl management it's it's not for me right it's not for me right. um and and you knowing me as you do you probably understand that and I and do. i hope other people do as well um but with that being said um there are a number of former agents who've gone to work as GMs, assistant GMs, club presidents over the years, uh, a remarkable number where people are like, really? He was an agent? Um, Bill Zito in Florida. Uh, we all know Kent Hughes in Montreal. Kyle Dubas was an agent. Um, I mean, you can go uh, look at, you know, Ryan Martin, the assistant GM of the New York Rangers. Um, Emily Castingay in Vancouver. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable how many have crossed over to, to go into NHL management in some capacity and um, what happens to their clients. Mm -hmm. um, if there is a um, established agency, um, many of the players will um, um, uh, start working with other agents in the agency um, some players, um, when that happens, decide to look around and, mm -hmm. and some have, um, left the agency or if it's a smaller, more solo kind of agent, just moved on to another representative. 
Um, and I would say it's about 50-50. About half the players involved with uh, with uh, agents who've gone into management have stayed with agencies, and probably about half have moved on to find uh, a, a new a new group or a new person uh, to represent their interests. Now, I know that as a player agent, you are barred from representing head coaches. Head coaches have their own representation. And there is a there is an agency out there that represents, I think, 26 or 27 out of the 32. Um, it's led to a huge bump in coach salaries. Um, I think Mike Babcock was a big part of uh, getting all the other head coaches on board along with some other people. And then some have smaller agents on the side. But from Hay Stripes videos, do refs have agents? Do refs have a one-year contract or can they be signed for multi-year deals or are they just considered employees? They're considered employees. They don't necessarily have agents. I think some uh, refs um, have uh, a lawyer who mm -hmm. would uh, look over an employment contract as many people would in other um, industries or walks of life, um, but they don't necessarily have an agent uh, marketing their services uh, to a uh, professional sports league. I don't think there's uh, quite honestly the uh, money in there or, or like really if you're a hockey um, official, uh, where are you going to go other than the NHL? And is there a possibility <laughs> of getting any kind of a bidding war for your services? Um, yeah. They're just, uh, it, do it doesn't exist. So, Alan, that sort of concludes uh, our Threads question so far, but we can keep taking them from uh, Threads next year, assuming uh, that, it, uh, that it keeps going. What, and this is my last question, uh, what are your plans for the summer? What do you do in the summer? Um, I still have uh, some uh, contracts to work on for mm -hmm. uh, different players. Uh, some uh, restricted free agents uh, who've been qualified, and um, there's still a lot of work to do there. Um, there are development camps that we have going on, uh, with some of our younger players and prospects, uh, that I'm very involved in, in, in the logistics, the planning and, and actually being there. Um, a couple of clients are getting married. I'm going to be flying off to go to a couple of weddings and, uh, and hopefully I get to spend a little bit of time with my, uh, with my family before my kids, uh, go back to university around August 15. So if all goes well, you know, the first uh, 10 days of August, um, we'll go off as a family somewhere and have, uh, have a, a family adventure for, for 10 days somewhere cool. Well, uh, I, hope, I hope that you get the chance to do that and that there are no emergencies in that time. And uh, please, pass along our thanks to your wife for letting us take even more of your very limited time. Uh, and Alan, I just want to say thank you for another great season. Um, it's been so much fun to kind of go through with some of the interviews this year, especially I think for me, the Steve Eiserman interview stands out as like, you, you just, um, I, I, every time he does a press conference now, I look at him in a completely different light. Um, so the insights, um, and the interviews and all the things that you have brought to the show t uh, this year. And uh, we just want to say thank you. Oh, thank you guys. It's uh, it's really is a privilege working with all of you. You're um, amazing coworkers. 
Uh, you've all become friends and uh, I enjoy all of my interactions with you guys and uh, really look forward to season three. I'm going to make Alan uncomfortable here and say he's a really good hugger. Really, got a really good hug in Nashville. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> like, really you, good. You, you promised you weren't going to say anything. <laughs> All right, Alan. Enjoy your summer. Let's get ready for season three. Yes, sir. This has been Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wild. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Follow Alan Walsh on Twitter at Walsh A. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts by searching Agent Provocateur and hitting the subscribe button. YouTube.com slash SDPN.